What comes to mind when you think of freedom? An even more important question is, what does it mean to be free in Christ? Last week in our passage in John chapter 8, we discovered how Jesus has stood between us and judgment, the judgment we deserved. He took our place just as he stood between the woman who was caught in adultery and her accusers. We also discovered how we're to drop the stones of judgment, of judging others, in order to rightly represent Jesus Christ to those around us. Jesus goes on to boldly proclaim that if we abide in him and his teaching, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Truth and freedom. The heart of every human cries out for freedom, to live really free. I'm here in Wenceslas Square in the very heart of Prague, and there's no greater symbol to the Czech people of freedom than this place. Because here in this place, in this setting, in 1989, the Velvet Revolution occurred. This square was filled with tens of thousands of students and protesters crying out for freedom. Oftentimes when we think of freedom, that's what comes to mind. We think of political freedom in order to have the freedom to be able to, to speak freely, to have a society that is free, that allows for the exchange of ideas. That freedom is incredibly important. And we should stand always as believers for justice and stand for freedom. But the freedom that is most important is not political freedom. It is a freedom that we find only in Jesus Christ. And it's a freedom that transcends the circumstances we find ourselves in. In fact, many of the early Christians were actually slaves. And yet they had a freedom in Christ that allowed them to be transformed personally and allowed them to change the world. Because you see, when we really have freedom, we're free to do great things. Our world desperately needs that kind of freedom right now. The freedom to do good, to show forth the love of Christ to all peoples. So let's go to this scripture. Let's listen to this passage here in John chapter 8 and find some ways that we can apply it to our life and learn to live free. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, 
and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In 32, Jesus says something that is absolutely revolutionary. It's transformative to our lives. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, that phrase is one that's familiar. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's become a classic phrase. In fact, many uh, universities and colleges and even other institutions may use that in, its, in their seal or as a motto, that knowing the truth will set you free. The way it's often used in education and sometimes in um, civic settings is that learning, intellectual understanding, is the key to freedom. And there's certainly a degree to which that is true. Knowledge is something that can set us free, but not in the kind of way that Jesus is talking about. When he uses the word freedom and truth, that truth is not knowledge and learning in an academic sense. And freedom here is not political freedom. Truth flows from a person. Jesus himself is the truth. Life united with Jesus Christ is what brings real freedom. And it's a freedom that occurs no matter what our circumstances are. So Jesus in this passage sets the key. He says, first, if you abide in my word, you are truly my followers. Jesus tells us that we must live in such a way that we're connected to him and his word is living within, of, within us. It's the same thing that we saw when we were studying in John chapter 15 about the vine, that his life needs to flow in us and we need to stay connected to him through his word. So that kind of truth, that kind of knowledge is what leads ultimately to freedom because it reveals the very heart and character of God. The great church father, Augustine, taught that true freedom is not choice or lack of constraint, but being what you are meant to be. Humans were created in the image of God, and it's only when we become more and more like Jesus Christ that we experience the freedom that he's talking about here. Freedom is found in knowing our identity and security in Christ Jesus and then living it out with him being the resource of our life and us expressing his love, his grace, his truth to others. So what does this freedom look like? What is it that Jesus really is offering you and I if we truly abide in his word and live as his disciples? What is it that will enable us to know truth and live free? Well, the context statements that surround our freedom in this passage can be somewhat difficult to comprehend because it seems a bit choppy as we read it. Because it's a dialogue that goes back and forth. It's not just a message that Jesus presents. He's having a discussion with those who are trying to figure him out and some who are trying to challenge him. And so if we're really going to understand this, we need to follow the train of thought that Jesus is presenting here 
And so what I want to do is, as we explore this passage, is, is simply look at the red letters. Is look at the things, the words of Jesus, so that we make sure we're understanding what he is communicating to you and to me. So let's look how he begins this section of, of, the, of the dialogue. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Why does Jesus begin there? And what's so significant about beginning with an understanding of light? Well, it's significant because when we understand light, many other things fall into place. When we understand the difference between light and darkness, then we're able to understand the difference also between good and evil. Sometimes we, we wrestle with, how could a good God allow evil? Or sometimes people ask the question this way, how could a good God create evil? Well, God didn't create evil. Evil is like darkness. I want you to think about this just for a moment. As Jesus is beginning the teaching and leading into when he's going to talk about truth and freedom, he begins with light because it sets the right contrast. Light and darkness are opposites. But darkness itself has no substance. Darkness is simply the absence or the void of light. Light always conquers darkness. When the sun rises, darkness flees every single day. Even if the clouds are there, it drives out the darkness because light always defeats darkness. Light bears witness of itself. It is self-revealing. Just as Jesus bears witness of himself that he is the truth, that he is the light of the world. Darkness, on the other hand, is the absence of light. Just like cold is the absence of heat, slavery is the absence of freedom, evil is the void of good. And finally, as we'll see in this passage as well, death is the absence of life. Evil is not something authored it is a perversion and void of that which is good. It is an absence of God's personal presence in a circumstance. That's what evil is, just as darkness is the absence of light. In a similar way, sin is a distortion of what was good as God originally designed it. Think about it this way. Lust is a perversion of God's design for love. Lying is a rejection of truth. Theft is a refusal to follow God's instruction and rely on His provision. Idolatry is twisting true worship and worshiping that which is created rather than the Creator. In the same way, sin is a void of God's presence, of His righteousness, of His goodness, of His design. So when Jesus begins this passage by saying that He is the light of the world, that He is the source of light, and of life, he is also pointing to an understanding that he himself is the source of knowledge and of freedom, because he is the truth. So in each of these cases, we see that Jesus is pointing us to substance. Light is a substance. Darkness is just an absence. Life is a substance. Death is the absence. In the same way, freedom, the freedom that Christ offers, is something real. It is something tangible. It's not just uh, an expression. It's something that happens within us that changes absolutely everything. Jesus is leading the 
the crowd to an eternal perspective of truth. He wants them to understand who he is so that they can have a right understanding of what freedom is. So we need to begin by understanding that true freedom comes from one source, Jesus Christ. Just as he is the light of the world, he is the freedom of life. Secondly, true freedom is not of this world. True freedom is neither political or physical. This world is not our home. But if we live as if it is, we become enslaved to its nature, to its comforts, and to the things that drive it, to the values that we see within the world. But Jesus calls us to live for what truly lasts, to live above what is simply of the world, to live for him and not for ourselves. Many people have political liberty to the full extent and still can be slaves to the masters of sin and self. Conversely, oftentimes people who are politically in bondage have learned to live spiritually and relationally free. You see, they're not connected to the circumstance. It's something internal. As I mentioned before, many of the early Christians were actually slaves, and yet they had incredible freedom in Christ, so much so that even as slaves, they changed the world. They were able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone around them. And many, many came to faith in Christ Jesus. Their lives were revolutionary, even though they did not have the political freedom that oftentimes we think is just the most important thing of all. Think about that in the context of our world. I am grieved far too often when I see how divided even the church becomes politically. Church, understand, politics and politicians will never save any of us. God uses government to help restrain evil and to bring order, but it is not the means of life and salvation and is not the thing that we have to share with others. Our political ideas and values may be important, but they're not the things that will change a person's heart and life. Only the good news of Jesus Christ will. So we need to be sharing him. We need to be showing him. We need to learn about real freedom from listening to the people who have endured suffering, because oftentimes they can speak more powerfully than our own ideas of what a society should be. And ultimately, the place where we find out what freedom looks like is in the person of Jesus Christ. Those who live for God's glory are those who live truly free. And it is them that accomplish the greatest good in all of the world. Because the greatest good is showing the goodness of Jesus Christ. And, and the ultimate assignment you and I have been given is not to spread a, an ideology or even values. It is to show that Jesus Christ is life and to invite others to have a relationship with him. When we are free, when we live beyond ourselves for God's greatness, then we're able to truly accomplish great things. The scripture shows us how to do that. It gives us a pattern to fall back on, to, to make sure that we can evaluate how we're living. And it's found actually in the Old Testament in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And he gives three things here. Number one, 
do justice. Number two, love kindness. And number three, walk humbly with our God. Church, please hear those words. Those need to govern everything that we do. Justice is what we are to do. It's what we're to work for. It's what we're to stand for because Jesus is on the side of the oppressed. But the way that we do that is to love kindness. And that phrase is, is, is a beautiful phrase in the scripture because it points ultimately to a word that's often translated in English um, as loving kindness, which is the love of God. We are to love kindness and show the love of God to those around us. The, the way we use it in our church is we're to give grace to others as God has given grace to us. And finally, we're to walk humbly with our God. When we use that as a guide to be able to measure our life and especially to measure our words, then we're living free. And I wanna invite you along with me to, to use that as a measurement, especially when we're getting ready to post something on social media. Does it fit that category? Does it do justice? Does it love kindness? Is it humble? If so, chances are pretty good it's a good thing to post. If not, maybe you need to hit delete. Even more importantly, that needs to govern our actions and our conversations. Our world needs desperately to see what Jesus is really like. And when we follow that pattern, we're able to have his life lived out through us so that we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And others will see what he is truly like. Well, in the midst of that, I just wanna, I wanna say a word of encouragement to us as a church, to you as a church. You know, when we look at our world and we see so much division, I am so thankful for the International Church of Prague. People from so many different cultures, so many different backgrounds, so many different races, living as one in Christ Jesus. That is powerful. That shows true freedom and true love because it's connected to the very heart of God. So thank you for being a great example of how we are to relate to one another. We come from different backgrounds, different political contexts, different races, and yet we're one in Christ. You see, that's the hope that the world ultimately is looking for. So it's something, or more importantly, someone that truly brings us together and offers us life. And that is Jesus Christ. That's our assignment. That's why it's so important. That's why Jesus makes such an emphasis about unity within his church. Well, we've looked a little bit about the source of freedom and that it's not of this world. But now let's, let's go a little deeper. Thirdly, true freedom is found only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. Because without Christ, we're enslaved to sin. And the end of sin is death eternal. That's what Jesus is telling them there. He's saying that unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. You'll be separated from God from all eternity. This is why we must be born again, so that his life is within us. Well, fourthly, true freedom requires a living union with Jesus Christ. So here Jesus is attempting to move the crowd from a physical understanding of life to a spiritual reality. Freedom comes from a life built on the perspective of truth from God's vantage point. As we abide in God's word and allow his truth to live through us, 
we can live with an eternal perspective and have the source of life flowing through us in every circumstance. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is so important because this is ultimately the freedom that Jesus wants to give us. He wants to set us free from the chains of sin. He wants to set us free, first of all, from the penalty of sin. That's why he went to the cross. He died in your place and in my place in order to pay the penalty. He stood in our place between us and judgment. But secondly, he not only sets us free from the penalty of sin, Jesus sets us free from the power of sin in our lives as well. Jesus says that when the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. This means that we have the freedom to obey God and to live lives that are fruitful, that make a difference, that have a value and a legacy that lasts far beyond us. It means that we're free to turn from sin and choose to obey God and become all that he created us to be. We're free to be able to see sin for what it truly is. That sin is our enemy. It's not just a weakness. It is an intruder seeking to destroy our lives, our families, our relationships, our work, our purpose, and our joy. But in Christ, we're free to reject that, to turn and be free of its power and influence, and instead follow Christ and live with His resource, His life, His Spirit living within us. If we are sincere in our faith, then we must be willing to make sure that we don't use our freedom in a way as an excuse just to do more sin. Paul cautions us about that in Galatians 5 verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, that's ultimately the freedom that Jesus offers us on a practical level. He sets us free to love, to love others like he loves us. Do you realize how powerful that is? Because it's only when we're set free of self that we're able to really love others with an unconditional love. And that is what transforms lives, transforms relationships. That's what defeats fear. True love casts out fear. And you see, that's another part of what Jesus is pointing us to. You see, he wants to set you and I free from fear. We've gone through a season where for many people, it's brought incredible fear. Both the virus, the threat of it, whether or not we're going to get the virus or someone we love would get the virus. That was one level of fear. The isolation brought a different level of fear. The unemployment has continued to rise and heighten some of those fears, so much so that you see unrest breaking out, that, that you can just pe see people rebelling against what they've gone through. And, and it's, it's an oppressive season. Becky was sharing with me um, just the other day about an article that she had read that talked about um, depression, especially during the, the Great Depression, 
um, in the in the 30s and the 40s, and how unemployment, as it rose, for each point that it rose, so did the suicide rate rise. And they're seeing a, a similar parallel during this season of social isolation as unemployment rises. And many people are fearful. They're struggling. They're wrestling. They're hurting. But you see, in the midst of that, when we abide in Christ and his word abides in us, we're free to love, to encourage, to strengthen, to build up, to unify. We're free to be the church, to take what Jesus shows us, apply it to our own lives, and then offer it as hope, as encouragement, as life, and as service to others. That's the freedom Jesus offers us. So the question we need to ask is, are we living free? Are we allowing his life to set the perspective that we're looking upon our circumstances, not from what we're going through, but from God's vantage point and remembering that God is with us and that God is for us and that he is calling us to show his love, his truth, and his grace to the people all around us. Church, this is an opportunity for us to shine. Jesus not only is the light of the world, but he tells us in Matthew that we are the light of the world. So the question we need to ask if we're truly to live free is are we shining the light of his life, of his truth, of his love into the lives of others? That's what God is inviting us to do. Because you see, the ultimate part of being free is that we're free to dare great things. We're free to dream. That's where I want to challenge you with today, is to allow the Lord to enable you to dream again. Ask him how he wants to use you to show his love into the lives of people around you. Maybe it's a small group of people. Maybe it's a group of refugees. Maybe it's a family member who's struggling. Maybe he's calling you to, to engage in a new type of ministry. Would you dream because you see, Jesus has set us free to become who he created us to be and to fulfill his purpose and calling on our life. Fear keeps us from pursuing that purpose. But when we abide in Christ, he sets us free to truly live and do great things. Church, let's live free. Let's see God do great and mighty things in us and through us. Not because of us but because of Jesus, so that all may discover life and truth and freedom in him.